Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Well, we are uh, in the final week of Advent before Christmas, this period of preparing for the coming of the Lord, both remembering his first coming and looking forward to his coming again. And uh, for this sermon series, we've been thinking about some of the carols that we start to sing at this time of year and trying to dig a little bit deeper uh, into their meaning and to what they're encouraging us to remember and reflect on at Christmas time. And so we've looked at Hark the Herald Angels Sing and we've looked at O Come All Ye Faithful and last week we did Away in a Manger and today we finish with Joy to the World. And of course, as we consider joy to the world, the carol. It's important, isn't it, that we first consider that word that it's uh, inviting us to feel, joy. What, what does it mean? What does that word mean? The Cambridge English Dictionary defines joy as uh, great happiness or a person or thing that causes great happiness. So they say they were filled with joy when their first child was born or uh, listening to music is one of my greatest joys. Uh, these uh, are the ways that we tend to use the word joy and we use it in a way that does mean, doesn't it, like uh, that there's happiness, so like something might make us happy. Uh, Sydney won the football on the weekend, makes us happy. Uh, Something makes us joyful is Sydney won the premiership. It's like a good thing but on steroids uh, and so we have joy. That's kind of, joy's kind of next level happiness. That's how we kind of think of it. And so we've got to think, well, is that what Christian joy is all about? Is that what the carol Joy to the World is is inviting us to do, to kind of just be next-level happy, or is it talking about something else? Well, uh, Christian uh, pastor and scholar in America, John Piper, uh, does a series on uh, the book of Philippians, a book which is all about joy. Uh, And he talks in that... Uh, about joy meaning something slightly different. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. What's he saying? He's saying Christian joy, the, the joy that we're talking about when we sing joy to the world is not next level happiness. It's actually supernatural God-produced, overflowing wonder and and joy, deep joy, at what we've seen of Christ in in the Bible, in the Christmas story, and and all the promises uh, associated with that, and his work and death and resurrection, and our ongoing view of him working in the world today, sustaining all things, interceding for us at the Father's right hand, all this other work that Jesus does in the here and now, and being made aware of that and how wonderful that is. Christian joy is not something that simply happens because uh, something good happens. 
It happens because God works powerfully in our hearts and minds, in our soul, to cause us to see Jesus in and through everything, and so we can't but help overflow. Deep Christian joy. That's what we're talking about when we think of this carol, Joy to the World. And before we dig in a little deeper to the the verses that we just sang earlier, let's, uh, as we've done in previous weeks, think about a little of the history. Joy to the World uh, was actually written as a poem by Isaac Watts, uh, who wrote many poems and many of them became hymns, and he's credited with some 750 hymns. And it turns out that Mr Watts, Isaac Watts, was a revolutionary because prior to his work of hymn writing in the late 17th and early 18th century, it's thought that Christians more or less only sang psalms, like the psalms, like the book in the Bible. That, that is, for 1,600 years... From the birth of Jesus till the time Isaac Watts, nearly 1,700 years, rocks up on the scene, Christians were singing purely and simply the biblical psalms. So if you're a great lover of hymns, then actually you're a great lover of innovation and change because you're on a 400-year new thing, right? Uh, the, the, the majority of Christians throughout history uh, have been singing psalms only. But Isaac Watts came along and he thought, you know what, uh, actually I think we can do something else. We can sing uh, uh, songs about God that aren't only written in the scriptures, that are inspired by them. A radical change, a good change I think, but a radical one nonetheless. And so, Joy to the World, published in 1719 uh, in a a book Watts wrote called Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. They weren't really into like New York Times bestseller titles in those days, were they? Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. And what we see in that title is that what he's trying to do is actually take the Psalms, such an important part of Christian worship for thousands of, a thousand odd years, and he's actually trying to show people that these Psalms find their fulfilment in Christ. Uh, And so he, he, he reads through the Psalms and he thinks, how's this Psalm fulfilled in Christ? And he writes a new Psalm, a new poem, a new hymn. Uh, about how that old psalm has found its, com- its fulfilment in Jesus. And so this is a psalm, uh, this is a hymn based on Psalm 98, as we'll see in a moment. The only other thing that's worth noticing before we start digging into the verses is that this carol is meant to have four verses. Uh, it's only got three in our hymn book that we sang this morning, but it does have a fourth And you'll know the fourth because it it is sung occasionally uh, and we'll come and see a little bit about what's going on in that fourth verse uh, in a moment too. It's actually the third verse. Uh, We've we've got verses one, two and four in our hymn book. There's a third verse that is missing. Tune-wise, the carol uh, uh, has morphed tunes over many years, but the tune we know today was written in 1848, almost 150 years after the hymn was first written, uh, by Mason. Uh, sorry, by Lau Mason, 
who got his inspiration from Handel's Messiah. And apparently, though I don't know Handel's Messiah well enough, you can see some similarities in some of the songs with uh, that song. So if you're a Handel's Messiah uh, person, you might be able to see that, but I don't. I'm musically impoverished in that way. Well, let's uh, dive into the verses and consider what they mean for us. Well, first we see in verse 1, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing this good news that Jesus brings joy, that deep joy. And you'll remember that I just said that Watts is rewriting the Psalms. And so he's showing us how that Psalm 98 finds its fulfilment in the coming of Jesus. Let me read to you from Psalm 98 verses 2, 4 and 6. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music and make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. What we see in Psalm 98 is heaven and nature singing with joy because the Lord has made his salvation known. And what Watts does is show us how he's ultimately made that known in the coming of Jesus into the world. Jesus is the fulfilment of so many Old Testament promises that a saviour would be born, that he would come to bring his people out of darkness and sin and into light and holiness. And so, with this completion and revelation of of Jesus as the one who God promised who would bring salvation and cause us great joy in in knowing our salvation Watts adds this line let every heart prepare him room he says knowing now what God has done and and seeing the work of Christ in his birth life death resurrection and ascension let every heart prepare him room we must make ourselves ready we must turn away from distraction, from sin, from selfishness, from everything that fills our hearts and crowds out our space for God and prepare ourselves, give room in our hearts for God. And it's a a great line, I think, and a great line for us at Christmas because we see, don't we, that people all over the place Uh, constantly filling their hearts with things other than God and that that is robbing them of joy. It, It seems no surprise to me that in our world at the moment, as we see across the Western world at least, belief in God plummet, we also are seeing across the Western world Uh, increasing rates of suicide and suicidal ideation. People have lost hope and joy. It's no surprise to me that people who we believe have got it all, the celebrities of our day, the rich and the famous, we also see are some of the most depressed, lonely and sad. Many of us spend our lives filling our hearts with money, with family, with sex, 
with alcohol, with drugs, with hobbies, with politics, with social justice, with environmentalism, with whatever it is that we think takes our fancy or our passion or will deaden us to, to the world around us or in lo- we think enliven us to the world around us. We, 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 we spend all our time chasing joy through these different things and in fact, as they take the place of God, they're robbing us of the very thing we're trying to find. God needs to be first and foremost in our hearts. And if he is, if we prepare him room, then ultimately we will have the joy we so desperately seek. Because whenever we put something in front of God, it becomes not a joy giver as we had hoped, but a joy killer as it can never truly satisfy like God can. So Jesus comes and he brings joy. We see that he also brings in verse 2, salvation, joy to the earth, the saviour reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sound in joy. We have joy because Jesus is our saviour. He comes to save us from that selfish way of life, from putting other things before him. He comes to save us from the mess we've made. And when we experience the beauty of salvation in Christ, of course we can't help but overflow with spirit-empowered joy. And so we join with the creation that that sings with joy about what God is doing in redeeming, saving and restoring the world. Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings us salvation. And then this leads nicely into verse 3, which is this... It's not just a future salvation, but we see the effects of it now. Uh, I'll read to you the verse 3, which we don't have in our hymn book, uh, which I cannot understand why, but it must have been didn't fit on the page. That's the only reason I can think. But verse 3, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Now, I can understand why uh, if you've got secular carols in the domain last night or tomorrow night when you're at the Maya Music Bowl, uh, you might not want to sing Far As The Curse Is Found far, while you're waving your candle and having a merry old time. Uh, like, I get why you might drop it out uh, at something like that, but I don't understand why it's not in our church's hymn book because this is great news. That not only has Jesus come to give us great joy, not only has he come to, to save us, but the curse of Adam is, is being rolled back. And Jesus is now replacing curse with blessing. You might remember the story of the curse from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, uh, they... Uh, 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 in the garden uh, it's a perfect garden or it is a good garden and yet God tells them don't eat this one particular fruit and they obviously don't listen and they do their own thing and then we read this in uh, verse 17 to Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it Because of this, cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat food from it. 
All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You see, when sin entered the world, the world as a result was cursed. Work became hard. You see, Genesis 2 tells us that we were created to work and that this was a good thing. And yet now we see the curse of sin, the curse of rebelling against God is not only broken relationship with him, not only broken relationship with each other, but broken relationship with the world in which we live. And so now our work is hard. The ground will be uh, worked not in joy, but through painful toil. And it's going to have thorns and thistles, weeds in the garden. That's, a, that's, a, that's the result of sin. No one likes weeds in the garden. We, we, we know this, don't we? And of course, in an agricultural society, this is a great, great problem, a great, great curse, because this is their life, toiling and tilling the fields. And I think it's still true for us today that though we're no longer in an agricultural society, our work is not easy, that our relationships at work are hard to manage, that we have bosses who do wrong by us, that we have colleagues who uh, just uh, are useless, we have colleagues who uh, we can't stand to be with, we have uh, people who take credit for our work, uh, we have all sorts of 21st century thistles in our work. Computers. I'm sure they're a thistle. Uh, they, They just crash all the time. And Jesus comes to reverse the curse, to bring peace with God, to bring peace to human relationships, and to bring peace with creation. And we get a taste of that in the here and now. And as I understand the Bible, the primary place where we experience this flowing of blessing is here, in the church. But it's in the church that we see the blessings of Christ flow uh, as we experience some of the rolling back of the curse that that we will experience in its total finality when Jesus returns. But it's in the church where relationships are, are, are meant to be different, where God helps us to forgive one another when we do the wrong thing and to move forward together in love and thankfulness. Jesus reverses the curse of sin and makes his blessings flow. Why on earth would you leave this out of the church hymn book? I don't know. I don't understand. We'll have to ask the publishers one day. Well, verse 4, our verse 3, finally reminds us that we have great joy Because Jesus rules the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. It's a reminder, isn't it, that the reality this Christmas, 2018, is that Jesus is not a cute little baby lying in a manger. He is the ascended king who rules the world. And this is a source of joy because he rules perfectly. I mean, what better source of joy when you consider some of the world leaders that we have at present? Just think us red hair, you know. When we think of these sorts of people and we think, crikey, uh, they're in charge of global world policy. What joy it is to know that actually Jesus rules the world. 
And he does it with truth and grace. And the nations submit to him. That brings me great joy in 2018. We see too that this carol holds together the idea of Jesus' righteous ruling with his love. That, that Jesus, uh, in his ruling of the world, uh, he does it in a way that is righteous and loving. Too often, I think, we have a, a, such a poor view of love. Too often, I think, we think that love means, if I love you, then I let you do whatever you want. And so if God loves me, then he would let me do whatever I want. But of course, that's, pretty, that's a pretty poor excuse for love, isn't it? If I love my, children, my child by letting her do whatever she wants, what kind of parent am I really? Because I'll tell you what, this is what Amity would do if I let her do whatever I want. She'd wake up every day, she'd watch the Wiggles on repeat and may switch in Happy Feet or Finding Nemo uh, uh, for a little Wiggles break. She would eat chocolate the whole way through Uh, And then uh, she would never go to bed. Uh, She would never change her own nappy. Uh, And uh, it would be a giant disaster. I love her. Elisa loves her. And so we, 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 we have to curtail what she wants to do so that she'll have a balanced diet and grow up to be healthy and she'll do things other than watch TV so she'll have imagination. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that we do because we love her that she doesn't want us to do. Jesus' love for us is intimately connected to his righteous reigning, his ruling of the earth with justice. It goes together so well because he loves us so much that he actually wants us to not just do whatever we want, but to live the best life we can, to die to ourselves and to live for his righteousness. He wants us to live the kind of life that is far greater and grander than anything we could ever dream of on our own. He wants us to live a life that brings glory and honour to him, not to ourselves. He wants us to live according to his rules. And when we do that, we find not a life of uh, uh, kind of rule-keeping drudgery, but rather deep, freeing joy. Because we're living how we were created to live. How wonderful God's loving rule of this world and of our lives is. Well, Jesus brings joy, deep joy. He brings salvation. He reverses the curse of Adam and makes his blessings flow and he comes to rule this world in righteousness and love. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us to comprehend these deep truths and to experience them in such a deep and meaningful way that we are moved to a place of deep joy that transcends our circumstances. We know, don't we, that for many people, Christmas is, is a time when joy is far from their mind. It's a time 
that can be filled with deep sadness for many people where they're reminded of loved ones no longer with them or they're reminded of painful childhood memories of dysfunctional families or uh, their own lack of a present-day family or uh, the busyness uh, just becomes so overwhelming. There's all sorts of reasons, isn't there, that joy can be the farthest thing from our mind at Christmas. And just as joy can be far from our minds, so too can be cheap joy or, or or, or passing joy. That is, there can be all this sort of superficial joy that comes from the fun of getting together with family and, and opening your presents. And I was just telling a couple of people, and during the last service, my phone went off and it said, guess what, Maya's delivering your Christmas present today. And I was like, woohoo! And then I was like, what am I doing? I'm preaching about deep joy and, I, and I'm feeling so excited about a Christmas present. And I'm literally about to say, don't do that. Uh, even, even I can do, uh, even I fall short on this. Of course I fall short on this. Christmas lights, Christmas carols, Christmas food, Christmas events, so much that can bring joy. Summer weather, if it ever comes back. All these things wonderful, but momentary and cheap compared to the deep joy of knowing Christ and his work for us at Christmas. No matter how we feel at Christmas, deeply sad, deeply happy, whatever it is, this carol is inviting us to come to God and to ask him to so transform us that in spite of our circumstances, we may have deep Christian joy produced by his spirit because we've truly understood the beauty of Christ. Christ has done a marvellous thing in coming to this world to save us. May you be so captivated by him this Christmas that you would find deep and lasting joy in him and him alone. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.